0: God's Word in First Kings 19, beginning in verse 19, reads, So Elijah departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Let's pray. Lord, what we need is not bread to feed our bodies, but bread to feed our soul. So would you feed us and nourish us through your word. Would you exhort us and encourage us as we go about our lives? It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, near the end of April, uh, the National Football League has its annual draft. The event in which professional teams get to choose which player they want to come join their team. Well, it's often predictable for the first few players. After that, it's kind of who knows who will get selected. And each player doesn't know if they'll get selected until they get a phone call. A call with the team saying, we are selecting you with whatever draft pick to be on our team. And often when the players receive the calls, they can't hold it all together. All the years of sacrifice, all the effort from not just them, but family and coaches and teams. And there's an overflow of emotions. They can't believe they now are going to play in the NFL. But we get calls all the time. Some are hoped for, like a call from an NFL team. Some are anxiously anticipated, like a call from a doctor or a lab giving you test results. Some get ignored because we don't know the number and we don't need to hear the final warranty call for our car. Some we eagerly answer since we know it's a birthday greeting on our birthday. And the impact of receiving the call depends on... Who's calling us? Why they're calling? Amazingly, we don't just receive calls from fellow humans, but the God of the universe calls us. It's not via telephones or video chats, but God makes clear calls to his people. When Jesus dwelt on the earth, he, it tells us in Matthew 4 that he saw two brothers casting a net into the sea, and he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers, of men immediately it says they left their nets and followed him and going on from there he saw two other brothers mending their nets and he called them immediately they left the boat of their follow of their father and followed him there's numerous accounts like this in the gospels one luke five jesus saw a tax collector named levi sitting at the tax booth and he said to him follow me and leaving everything levi rose and followed jesus and so Jesus calls people to himself. He says, follow me. He issues the command. And there could be no greater call on your life for the God of the universe to call you. And now when we talk about the call of God on our life, there's really two aspects of it. There's the general call in which we all receive. Everyone who's a believer, like Romans eight twenty eight says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called. Well, that's all believers. There's a general call. And yet sometimes God lays specific calls for a specific ministry on Christians. Acts 13.2 says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. They had a unique calling from God that no one else had. And thus this morning, as we look at this passage, we're going to see God put a unique call on Elisha's life. And yet that unique call has general application that we can draw for all of us. So how do you know what God is calling you to do? What will it look like to follow Him? Will there be any cost in following Him? Well, we see all of those answered this morning in our passage. First, in verse 19, there's a call to follow God. Then, in the next few verses, we see the cost of following God. And then lastly, the humility needed to follow God. Now, you've got to remember the context. This goes back a couple chapters. First Kings 17, when Elijah was told by God to go proclaim to Israel, There will be a drought until my word. And there was a drought on the land. And Elijah went and was fed by God by the brook Cherith. And then through a widow in Sidon, the land of Jezebel. Then he returned and he called forth rain after the the competition with the prophets of Baal, and it rained. And yet he fled due to Jezebel wanting to take his life. We spent some weeks looking at that how the Lord restored him to ministry, and now Elijah is serving the Lord again. He departs from his cave, and in verse seventeen it tells us he went to Abel Mahola. Well, that is almost smack dab in the middle of Israel. It's showing us. Elijah's faith he doesn't go like some people do in games of tag where there's the border and they kind of stand right over it oh yes you can come get me and then they jump back across so that they're safe Elijah goes far into Israel saying I know Jezebel still wants to kill me but I know God will preserve me God has given me a mission and so I cannot be taken before I have accomplished his will in my life so Elijah comes and he finds Elisha and he throws his cloak upon him. Now before we get to that, we see two things here that show us of Elisha's wealth. First, every time Elisha is mentioned early on, he's mentioned as Elisha the son of Shaphat. Now we don't know who Shaphat is today, but for the hearers of that day, it was well known. It would maybe be like someone saying, oh, he's a Rockefeller or a Kennedy or that's Bill Gates' son. As soon as you mention Those people, you think, oh, that's someone of wealth. That's someone of power. And here, Elisha comes from a family of power and wealth. Second, Elisha plows with 12 yoke of oxen. He is with the 12th. Now we're not exactly sure what that means. But remember where we are in 1 Kings. They have just endured a three and a half year drought. Elijah's only been gone for a little over 40 days. And yet, Elisha's family has enough wealth not only to provide for themselves through three and a half years of drought, they can keep 12 oxen, which are known for consuming massive amount of water and food through this famine. And yet, Elijah comes, and he throws his cloak over Elisha. Even before photographs or newspapers, they were able to somehow recognize these various leaders and here, Elisha immediately recognizes what's being, being done to him. And so he runs after Elisha, and he asks him if he can go and say farewell to his parents. Elijah realizes that this is a symbolic act, that he is being given the mantle, literally, to be the next prophet. And thus we have this unique call of Elisha to be the prophet following Elijah, but we can see things from this for God's call on us. Well, how does God call us? Well, it's not normally through a prophet coming and laying some clothing on us, but rather it's through his word when it's preached or read or prayed or sang, or however you hear God's word in scripture, he is speaking to you. Jesus said in John ten twenty seven, My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. And yet we know that God also has specific callings on our life. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Keep a finger there in 1 Kings. But 1 Corinthians 7, and we're going to read verses 17 through 24. 1 Corinthians 7, beginning in verse 17, Paul writes... But keeping the commandments of God, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition... Each was called, there let him remain with God. So twice in these verses, verse 20, verse 24, he says the same thing. Wherever you are, whatever condition you are, when God calls you, stay in that condition. Thus, when God calls you to himself, when he calls you to follow him, for the vast majority majority of us, he is not calling you to then, get a new vocation, or to get a new place of living, or to get new relationships per se. Rather, he's calling you to live differently in those same places. To live rather than not for yourself, but rather than for God. Rather than seeking the praise of men, you serve for the glory of God. Rather than seeking self-promotion, you seek how to serve others. Last week, Richie, my friend, preached a great message on this and went into more detail on how this involves your work. And if you weren't here, I would encourage you to go on our website and you can listen to that sermon. It was very helpful. But one of the biggest things to note is that you can serve God in any moral task. You don't need to become a missionary or a pastor or do something specifically religious in order to serve God. You can serve God as a teacher as a retiree, as a gate guard, as a student, as a child, as an athlete, as a neighbor. And you can serve God anywhere He has put you. And like Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians seven twenty four, whatever condition you're called, there remain and serve the Lord. Just think about Jesus. He was a child, and then He worked for many years as a carpenter. And then He worked for three years as a preacher. When did He honor God? With all of it, from the beginning to the end, he honored God. It wasn't as though, well, he was kind of just getting by until age 33. And then when he started preaching, then he started serving God. No, his whole life was an offering and service to God. So thus, to fully honor God, you don't need to be somewhere else. You don't need to get a new rule. Rather, you just need to honor God where he has already called you. In this most of us, all of us really, don't have a calling. We have multiple callings. Just to take myself, I'm a follower of Christ, and that means I'm a husband, and I'm a father, and I'm a pastor, I'm a church member, I'm a ch- coach, I'm a teacher, a neighbor, and any other role God has given me. Those are the callings that God has put on my life. You Don't believe the lie that if you really want to serve God, you've got to go fill in the blank. Today... In whatever place God has put you, you can serve Him. So be faithful to God, knowing that He has called you where you are. But there will be times when this isn't easy. And we see that next in verses 20 to 21. There's a cost of following God. So flipping back to First Kings chapter 19, verse 20 and 21, we see the cost as Elisha will have to leave family and he will sacrifice the oxen. But we'll see what happens here. Verse 20, Elijah is run after. Elisha catches him and he says, May I please leave and go say farewell to my mother and father. May I kiss them? Now, normally that wouldn't mean much, except the word kiss is only used twice, twice in the book of 1 Kings. And the only other time it's used before this is right before this in 1 Kings 19:18, where Elijah is concerned He is upset. He thinks he's the only one serving God. And yet God says, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. In other words, the author is showing us, uh, Elisha is not one who is kissing Baal. He's one who's been faithful to God and faithful to his parents. Elisha is one of the 7,000. And so Elijah responds, what have I done to you? Now that's a little confusing as to what he means, but most likely he's saying, look, Elisha, what you're being called to is not really to follow me. You're being called to follow God. And so that's not really anything to do with me. That's between you and the Lord and you need to work that out. What is it that I'm doing? Don't worry about me. What is the Lord calling you to and will you follow that? So Elisha goes, he says farewell to his parents. And then he takes the yoke of oxen he was plowing with, He sacrificed them and boils their flesh. You may know that in 1519, when Henry Cortez arrived in the New World, he then made a surprising move. He had his men burn the ships. It was a clear signal to the men, you got one option. We either fight and survive here, or we die, because there's no way we're getting back. Well, that's what Elisha has done. He's burned the ships. He's burned the oxen. How is he going to make a living? Well, they're all burned up. He's got nothing to go back to. All he can do now is serve God through following Elijah. He has considered the cost and he has paid the price. Now earlier, Keith read for us, Luke 9, 57 through 62. And there, there's three incidents where people are encountering Jesus about following him. And one of them follows this language. The third one it reads, another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say, say farewell to those in my home. It's an allusion to this story right here. And yet what does Elijah do? Elijah says, yes, you can go back. But Jesus says, don't go back and kiss those. Don't go back. He says, no one who puts his hand in the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus is not saying you can never say goodbye to your parents. It's hyperbole. He's saying, look, you need to have single-minded devotion to serving the Lord. All other loves should pale, even the love for mother and father. Here you have to recognize the kind of agricultural context of the Palestinian soil. There, as the plower is going along, holding it down, if he keeps looking back, he's eventually going to hit a rock. And then the plow is going to flip, and he's going to do a couple flips with it the plower must be looking ahead seeing what's coming that's where i'm working for and jesus is calling us to a devotion greater than any prophet in the old testament could call he's calling us to soul focus on him now sadly this is different than the way many people present coming to christ in our country often presented as coming to christ is a great finishing touch a cherry on top of an already great life. Yes, you have a wonderful family, a great job. You have all these things. But what you need also is to get rid of guilt, have some meaning, and so trust in Christ. You won't go to hell. And yet Christ, in that mindset, is just another spoke in the wheel of life. He's just another aspect. Oh, yes, I need to get some religion in life. That way my life is complete. And yet Jesus is not content to be a spoke in the wheel of life. He says, I need to be the hub. I need to be the center of life in which everything emanates and flows through me. We see Jesus' radical call to make him first in our life by an interaction he has with what we call the rich young ruler. You can read it in Luke 18. There this young ruler comes up to Jesus and says, Master, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now Jesus does not reply, well, all it is is faith. Faith alone saves you. In fact, Jesus says something that shocks us. He says, Do you know the commandments? And he tells them the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth commandments from the Ten Commandments, leaving out intentionally the tenth commandment, You shall not covet. Well, the rich young ruler ruler replies, I've kept all these from my youth. And Jesus then says, One thing you still lack sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. It then continues. But when the ruler heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, being God, was able to see this man's heart, and that is why he spoke to him the way he did. Because Jesus could tell this man had one thing that he loved more than God his possessions. And the man didn't have to be saddened by Jesus' words, he could have been joyful. In Matthew 13, 44, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. You see, the rich young ruler basically had some scales in his mind. And on this side of the scales was everything I have. And on this side of the scales was Jesus. And he said, uh, this is a little bit better than having jesus and so jesus dug to the very heart of what he loved most and said the thing you love most has to be sacrificed because i have to be what is heaviest what is most important in your life you have to say nothing is more valuable to me than christ and so following christ has a cost it may mean losing friends it may mean having to sacrifice prior allegiances. It may bring suffering, yet it is worth it. We're brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We are restored to our Creator and at peace with God. We become the children of God. More than that, you're only giving up what you're never going to be able to keep anyway. When you die... Every single talent, every single possession, every single prize you have will just be a pile of junk that someone else has to remove. You thought it was wonderful. You thought, oh, look at everything I got. And someone else is going to come and go, oh, what do we do with all our grandpa's stuff? What are we going to do with all our grandma's junk? Just, just throw a lot of it out, Okay. What you thought was so valuable you spent your life to get will become nothing. Thus the missionary and martyr Jim Elliot rightly said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You will never lose the love of Christ, but you will lose everything here on earth that you're living for. Besides him. And so it is as we bear that cost. It's as we die to self. That we're risen to newness of life. That we're risen to what will really matter. Have true significance. And value. And so there is a cost. Later we're going to sing the song. I have decided to follow Jesus. And that song bears the cost. It tells us the cost. And for some people. The cost is not just. Some things they love physically. It's things they love relationally. Maybe even their own life. Dr. P. P. Job tells of missionaries. They went to North India, northeast India. And they weren't very welcomed. And they worked and labored for years. And then eventually one man and his wife and their two children came to faith in Christ. Well, the village and its chief were incensed. And they called them to renounce their faith or be killed. And according to Dr. Job, the father said, I've decided to follow Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The chief ordered two of his sons to be shot with arrows. As the boys lay twitching on the floor, the chief asked, will you deny your faith? You've lost both your children. You'll lose your wife too. The man, according to Dr. Jobs, saying in reply, Though none, no, no one joins me, still I will follow. Though no one joins me, still I will follow. Though no one joins me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. This further defiance led to him killing his wife, and the chief declared he had one more opportunity before he would die too. The man saying, The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. So the man was killed. And yet the chief and the village were eventually moved. Why would someone die? Let their family die for someone who lived 2,000 years ago. Who lived halfway across the globe and they came to also trust and believe that Christ is who he claimed to be a dramatic story of following Christ all the way to death and while many of us will never have to bear that cost physically we too are called to die to die to ourselves die to our desires and live for God and live to other word to live for others in other words we need humility To follow God. And we see that lastly in verse 21 of chapter 19. There at the very end it says, Then he arose, Elisha arose, and went after Elijah and assisted him. And before Elisha could be the mighty prophet for God that he will end up being, he first must serve. We're not going to turn there, but you could turn to 2 Kings 3, and there a king is being told of Elisha. And the person says, Elisha, he's the son of Shaphat who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Elisha went from being the wealthy son in a wealthy family to being a man who pours water on another man's hands. Being a water boy. And yet, being a water boy should never be a demeaning demeaning task for the servants of Christ. Rather, it's a blessing to be able to serve says in john 13 when jesus had washed the disciples feet he said to them do you understand what i've done to you you call me teacher and lord and you're right for so i am if i then your lord and teacher have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet truly truly i say to you A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Notice it didn't say, blessed are you if you know this. Or blessed are you if you have memorized this verse. It says, blessed are you if you do this. If you humble yourself and serve. You will often we're given an opportunity to serve, and we go, oh, I really don't want to do that. And yet God is giving you blessings in your life when He gives you an opportunity to serve others. And we have to be clear, if you feel that there is a call on your life to serve God, and it means that you don't serve others, then that is not an actual call from God. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't consider... Um, having various tasks, or that there shouldn't be a division of labor. Yes, we should, of course, realize it's not always wisest to have the person in charge being the person who empties the trash each day. But if there are tasks that are too low for you, that are too menial, that I, I could never do that, then you're not understanding the call Christ has put on your life. Yes, there are times you need to lead by not doing those, but there are also times when you show your love for Christ by doing any and all for Him. Kent Hughes was recounts of how this great symphony orchestra conductor was asked, "Hey, Sir, what's the hardest instrument to play in your symphony? And without hesitation, he replied, second violin. We can get plenty of first violinists, but to get someone who will play second violin with enthusiasm, that's a problem. And yet our Lord and Master says, isn't it a joy to play second, third, fourth, fifth violin? Like Richie showed us last week, one of the greatest ways we love and serve others is basically just doing our calling excellently. You know, I was a teacher for several years. Let's just think about my calling when I was a teacher. I loved others if I taught well. Well, how is that? Well, if I taught well, then my students would understand what they're doing. So then in the future, when they needed to know that knowledge, they wouldn't then go, "Uh, I didn't know because Mr. Mollenkopf didn't really care. He was over there at his desk studying his Bible trying to serve God. Well, no, they understood. So the next class, they're ready. They are prepared. And I was loving my fellow teachers because if I didn't teach them, what's going to happen when they get to the next teacher? That teacher is going to have to take time and back up and go, well, yeah, y'all never get this stuff with Mr. Molenkoff, so we're going to have to take our time to go fix his sloppy work. By just doing my job well, I'm loving, I'm serving the students in front of me, and I'm loving and serving those in the future who will then get those students. Or if you have a job working somewhere, let's say a factory, if you do your job well and efficiently and excellently, well then, you'll get things off the line sooner. There'll be better products, and then they will sell for cheaper, which will be a blessing to those who are buying them. The owner will be able to make them cheaper, which will lead to more profits, which will be a blessing to him. They won't then have to buy more, because you made it with excellence, and they're not having to keep replacing their products. And we could take any task we have. If we do it in excellence, if we do it cheerfully, if we do it to the Lord, we're loving and serving other people. And all of this just shows us the radical difference that it takes when we recognize God's call on our life. You don't need to go do something specifically religious. You can serve Him anywhere. You can work hard whether they'll give you a raise or not. You can work hard whether it's your last day or not. Because you know, every second of every day, I get to do this for my Lord. A joyful understanding that He is my Lord and I get to follow Him and one day we will be blessed in doing it. In John 12:26 Jesus tells Peter, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Service to Christ may not be noticed here and now, but the Father will one day honor any and all things done to him. So the path to true and lasting joy is to hear the call of Christ and to follow it. And some of this can seem very theoretical, so I wanted to end by giving some specifics. What if you're filling a call to something new, or greater, or different? How do you know if that's the voice of God calling you, or it's something else? And let me recount to you from a story that my friend Naomi Smith wrote, uh, not story, about her life, Uh, Some of y'all may remember her. She and her husband came here probably two or three years ago. He was a missionary in Mexico. Now they're serving in a kind of administrative role in their missionary agency. But she writes about her call to be a missionary. She writes, 22 years ago, God called me to be a missionary. So I went to college and pursued a degree in biology with the intent to serve as a medical missionary. In the middle of studying, I fell in love with Joshua Smith. Suddenly, I was confronted with a glitch in my calling. As I studied scripture, I didn't see a clear calling for me to serve God as a medical missionary, but I did see a clear calling for wives to take seriously the commitment of marriage and coming under the leadership if they're husbands. If I were to marry, I would not only have to listen for my calling, I would have to listen for our calling. I chose Joshua. I was convinced more about him than I was about my individual calling to medical missions. I would still give Christ my all, but now my calling included Joshua. Our first missionary call was to Pamplona, Spain. At least, I think we were called there. In 2010, after almost eight years in Spain, Joshua spent a day in concentrated prayer. He came to me at the evening and told me that he thought our time in Spain was coming to an end. Could it be? My heart didn't resist. We began to seek counsel from our church community in Spain, from our leaders in our missions agency, from our church family in the United States. Again and again, the prompting to leave Spain was confirmed. God had clearly shown us that ministry in Spain was done, and so we were waited eagerly to hear what's next. We began praying, fasting, and seeking godly counsel from those who knew us best. We begged God to show us where he directs direct life and ministry. We were met with silence. At some point in the midst of the silence, Joshua was asked to be the team leader in Mexico City. We visited Mexico City. We didn't hear angels sing, but we heard a compelling whisper. We saw how God could use our skills and our experiences to serve the unique needs of the city and church, and we couldn't say no. We moved forward, called to Mexico City, kind of. I was nervous though. I kept asking Joshua, what if we're wrong? What if we aren't supposed to go to Mexico? Just because we couldn't say no, does that mean we're supposed to say yes? Joshua would remind me we served a kind God, that our heart's desire was to follow him. And that if Mexico City wasn't really where we were supposed to be, he was big enough to correct our path and loving enough to tenderly care for us along the way. Six months into our move, I remember sitting on the couch with Joshua and crying. Joshua asked me if we should just leave Mexico City. He reminded me that his calling to care for his family was clearer than his calling to serve God in Mexico City. I remember telling him in between tears, no, we shouldn't leave. So she concludes, so did God call me to missions? Did he call me to Spain and then away from Spain and then to Mexico? I think he did. He placed specific desires in our hearts. He opened and closed opportunities. He guided us through the insight of wise counselors. He reminded us of eternal truths, even in apparent silence. What I'm most certain of is this. God called me to know Him and to make Him known. To delight in Him and love my neighbor as myself. That's where I'll set my eyes. That's where I'll set my heart. That's my calling. And so I think there's that story paints for us very beautifully how God calls us. And I'm going to end with a little acronym, ac- not an acronym, acronym, about how we consider our own callings. So the acronym is SPACE, S P A C E. Not spacey, that's maybe me, but we're dealing with space. The first one is S, Scripture. You know, when Naomi was considering, what did she say? Well, she knew from Scripture God had called her more clearly to her husband than to any other calling. And so by Scripture, she could always guide, is this from God? And that's where we always have to begin, is what I'm being called to in line with what Scripture tells me to do. Next, we got to pee. we got to be in prayer. Over and over, you may have heard them praying and fasting. They didn't just say, well, we'll read Scripture, and they make our own guess. They turned to the Lord in prayer, asking for God to guide them and direct them. The next one, though, is A, S-P-A, abilities. They considered the way that God had uniquely gifted them and given them skills and experiences. Now, sometimes Christians get a little um, super spiritual here. Well, God can use me anywhere. So since I have a desire, God's calling me to that. Yes, as we look through scripture, God can use anyone, anything. He can use even donkeys. But that doesn't mean that if y'all ever have a pastoral search committee, you should put donkeys on the list. No comments on what you got last time. (laughs) We don't need to be over spiritual. God uses the gifts he's given us to serve. So every once in a while, like for the next two weeks, Keith will be gone and Lord willing, one of you will want to lead the music. But if not, I will consider that my calling for a couple weeks. But I'm not saying, well, God is calling me to music ministry because I do not have the gifts and ability, even if I put in a lot of effort towards that. Now, maybe someone feels a call, I feel called to preach. Well, then, if you don't have the skills, maybe work on them. But if you're still not getting them, the most loving thing for us to do is tell that brother, we don't think God's calling you to be a pastor. Because if he was calling you to be a pastor, we would understand what you were saying. And we just kind of were lost for 40 minutes, and it didn't make a lot of sense. And yet, in our over-spiritual state, we end up hurting other churches. I've seen time and again, churches will send someone off to seminary that they would never call to be their own pastor because they don't think they're very skilled. But, oh, well, who are we to say anything? Well, in love, you say something for the sake of that brother so he's not wasting his life on something he's not good at. And for whatever church he goes to, so they don't then go, oh, he's actually not very gifted in this way. And so we need Scripture We need prayer, we need to consider our abilities, and then see we need counselors. Naomi noted, the promptings to leave Spain were confirmed through counsel. Every single new opportunity, they turned to trusted men and women. This wasn't just individual decisions. They humbled themselves to say, God often leads us through the people he's put in our lives. To say, I'm considering this, is this a good fit? Not, I'm doing this, will you pray for me as I enter into it? But is this going to be a good place for me? Fifth, and lastly, we must consider E our essential callings. Essential callings. If God never calls you to do something, that will then lead you to deny fulfilling the other essential callings he has given you. We saw that clearly with Naomi saying, well, I'm now called to my... Husband, so that takes primary over what I personally want to do. Or Joshua as well saying, I know I'm called to you. So that takes precedence over whether we're in Mexico City or Kansas City. I'm primarily called here before I'm called to these other things. Sadly, many Christians think that in their service of God, it's okay to neglect their family or their other primary callings. And yet God calls you first. To some callings, then if you can add to those, great. But he does not call you to neglect your primary callings. We even see that here in Elisha because what does he do before he goes? He says farewell to his calling to family. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson, some of you may know him, he's a well-known theologian for over forty years, and he said that whenever someone tells them they feel called to ministry, he asks them two questions. First, what's your relationship with your parents? Now, obviously, there could be unique circumstances where you have unbelieving parents, but where there are godly parents, if you don't have a good relationship, it concerns Him. But second, He asked, who have you served? We should not go first out to go, who can serve us? But as we've seen even this morning, God's call on our life is to serve others. So God is calling maybe he's calling you for the first time just to trust him to turn from your sins and believe in him to say i'll no longer be called by myself but i will become a child of god but maybe for some of you he's calling you for a unique task a new cast will you say here am i lord use me and yet all these callings there's one call in which jesus called us not to follow him John 13, 36, Peter is talking to Jesus and he says, Jesus replies to Peter, sorry, where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterward. What was Jesus saying? He's saying, look, there's one mission I have that none of you will have, and that is to go to die for your sins. Yes, you'll follow me after, but you won't follow me to the cross. So friends, many of us, We have not, well all of us, have not been faithful to every calling God has given us. But the one calling we couldn't fulfill, Christ fulfilled for us. So may we go forth knowing the forgiveness, the grace of Christ. Because Christ knew that Peter was then going to go deny him. To deny the calling, to be a friend, to be a disciple. And then Christ died even for that sin. He rose again and he calls Peter and he calls you and he calls me. Follow me. May we follow. Let's pray. O Lord, would you help us to hear that call? Lord, would everyone in here be a sheep that hears your voice? And that we come, say, here am I, Lord. Use me. Lord, we want to obey. Stir in us a deeper love, a deeper desire to hear and obey.